These are the daily lectionary comments for December the 31st. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, this is Isaiah's version of Epiphany. And then Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. Uh, and we will take a quick look at Mary's Magnificat. All right, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 60. But before we do that, I want to go back again and cover some material we've covered before. Try to get the, the, the big vision that uh, Isaiah is giving us here in his uh, wonderful book. First off, uh, remember Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 brings a culmination to a part of Isaiah where uh, it is clear that this servant of the Lord is being called by the Lord to do something. Specifically, the servant of the Lord is being called to do for Israel and on behalf of Israel for all the world, what Israel itself had originally been called to do but it failed to do. And in Isaiah 53, the servant of the Lord lays down his life as an atoning sacrifice. He is described really very much as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is where that theology is drawn from in the New Testament, explaining the nature and the purpose uh, and the fruit of Jesus' crucifixion. That's what it means when Jesus says, uh, that he gives his life for us. Okay, that's that's Isaiah 53 is telling us what it means that he gave his life for us. Okay, so Isaiah 53 explains the 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 deep mystical truth that finally the salvation of Israel is not going to be figured out when Isaiah learns to straighten up and fly right. It's going to be figured out when the servant of the Lord actually comes and accomplishes for Israel what Israel could not do. That's Isaiah 53. Now. As soon as we finish with that, from Isaiah 54 onward to the end of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is going to become very preoccupied with a, and, and take a decidedly universal worldwide view. He is going to be preoccupied with the nations, with the kings of the nations, with the wealth of the nations, with the coastlands, with the ends of the earth, with the whole world, with the whole earth. So much of Isaiah 54 all the way through Isaiah 66 is going to concern not just Israel, but the world. So in Isaiah 54, we see that Israel itself begins to extend and expand very rapidly. In Isaiah 55, we learn that the, the reason for this, the, the way that this is being accomplished is through the proclamation of the gospel of the word of God, which comes down like rain and does, uh, and does not return to the Lord empty. Now, uh, now, now, looking at Isaiah 60, we're continuing this theme. This theme of the nations, of their kings, of their wealth, and they're all going to come to Israel. I want you to take a, a quick look at verse 6. Note, they shall bring gold and frankincense. Now, you see where, where Matthew, why Matthew highlights that the Magi bring gold, myrrh, and frankincense, because he's, he's, he's referring back to this passage. And so we see that in the epiphany of, of um, uh, in, in Matthew, the nations are actually literally coming to our Lord Jesus um, to offer him their gifts just as Isaiah describes here in miniature. It's not that Isaiah is actually predicting the coming of the Magi. What Isaiah is predicting is something much more massive. 
What Isaiah is predicting is all the nations through the proclamation of the gospel will be turned through repentance and faith to come to the God of Israel and to seek their salvation in the God of Zion. So that's what he's actually predicting. And the Magi coming are just a a miniature version of this, just to kind of whet our appetite for what's going to happen after Jesus ascends uh, into heaven, after he's laid down his life for the sins of the world. Um, so in, in verse seven, the Lord talks about, I'm going to beautify my home. Okay. The temple is going to be beautified in, in, in verse 13. He says, he's going to make the place of his feet glorious. Well, the temple was also, uh, known as the place of God's feet or his footstool. It's, it's as though it's, it's where God is standing on the earth or where God is sitting or where God can be found. <clears throat> so it was oftentimes referred that way. So when finally the glory of the Lord is revealed in Israel and the worldwide mission to bring the nations to the God of Israel begins, this will also result in the beautification of the temple. Not the physical temple, but now it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is uh, the church. And, and uh, he says in verse 12, he said, the nation that will not serve you will perish. Okay, so so Jesus sends his disciples to make disciples of all nations. The church is not a nation. Israel was a nation, a, a group of people sort of ethnically one with one heritage. But the church is not a nation. It, it goes to all different nations. Uh, and, and so uh, what it's saying here is the nation that will not serve you, that is, the people of God who are, who are uh, now uh, knit together in this new and beautified temple, that nation will perish. Also, um, Isaiah refers very interestingly uh, to a time when there'll be no sun and no moon. You can go and look at Revelation chapter 21 and see where that's taken up. In, in, and that's after Jesus comes a second time. And we really are living with God in the new heaven and the new earth. So uh, this is... Um, this follows on the suffering servant who lays his life down. This causes a ex dramatic ex expansion of Zion to the ends of the earth through the preaching of the word of God. And that causes a huge migration of the nations of the earth to Zion. Of course, the migration is not a physical, we're going to leave where we are wherever we are in the world, and go to, to uh, the Holy Land, it means that our hearts are coming to the God of Israel. Now, all of this in Isaiah is very much what is in Simeon's mind when he describes the Lord Jesus, the baby Lord Jesus, as a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. That's exactly what Isaiah is describing here. And that's why we say that this is Isaiah's version of Epiphany. And Epiphany, we celebrate, of course, the Magi coming to Jesus, but we also celebrate the gospel, the light of the gospel going out to the ends of the earth and the revelation of the glory of God in Jesus going out to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what Isaiah is describing here. He's describing it in chapter 60, but this is not the only place that he's describing it. He is going to carry on this theme further, as we shall see tomorrow. All right, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. This is where um, uh, Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. Mary was told that, that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and that she would conceive uh, uh, by the Holy Spirit. And the sign that was given to her is that Elizabeth already 
is, is uh, with child, six months, and she who was thought to be barren. Well, so uh, Mary goes to see Elizabeth because this was the sign that was given to her. How does she know? Well, I mean, she trusts in the word, but there's a sign given to her, so she's going to go and visit Mary. And as soon as she does, the first thing out of Mary's lip, excuse me, out of Elizabeth's lips is the child within me leapt when I when he heard your voice. So immediately the sign is confirmed to Mary. Now Mary obviously believed this. So she didn't need the sign in order to believe. It's also very obvious that Mary had been hard at work on some poetry of her own because when Mary says this, okay, she calls her most blessed among women and she talks about the child leaping within her womb. Right away, Mary comes out with this beautiful poem that we, that's come down through the ages known as the Magnificat. That's just uh, uh, Latin for, for uh, uh, to magnify, okay, my, my soul magnifies. That's all it means. <clears throat> but it is a well-recognized song from the early church from the lips of Mary. Uh, and that she's obviously thought very carefully about this. She knows that the new, a new era, the era of the Messiah, is about to begin. And, but she knows nothing else about it than this. Now, it's interesting the themes that she strikes in the Magnificat because this is how Mary sees um, this, the new, the Messiah's kingdom. These are the, the, the chief points uh, that, uh, that, that she brings out. The chief points that she brings out here uh, is this uh, idea of the great reversal. This is something that we see very often in the New Testament. Uh, actually, we saw it in the Old Testament too. The prophets often talked about how Israel's miserable experience uh, is going, uh, and, and, and you know, being oppressed by the nations is going to be reversed. And Israel is going to be on top and the nations are the ones who are going to be your servants. The, the New Testament kingdom is seen in a similar way. Jesus talks about the first shall be last, the last first, the rich shall be poor, the poor shall be rich, uh, and, and, and so on. Um, in, even even the, the, the stone that the builders rejected shall become the capstone. All of this uh, is... Um, is in further expressions of the fact that in the kingdom of God, the things that are considered one way viewed from the eyes of the world will be seen absolutely opposite from the eyes of faith. So we take a look and, and Mary's Magnificat focuses first on her own uh, lowliness. God has come to me, a lowly person. So this is obviously on her mind. Why would God choose me? And we might well ask that question. Why would God choose Mary? You get it wrong if you think that Mary was some, some kind of titan of faith and the perfect person in all the world. There's no doubt that Mary was a very faithful individual, no doubt that her heart truly loved the Lord. But it's not as though God is looking for a spiritual hero to choose. The whole point here is that he's chose somebody very lowly and to the extent that she is great in the Lord's eyes, is because of her, her lowly faith. That is, she humbly trusts in the Lord. And so this has struck Mary, that God has selected her a nothing in the world, but because of her faith in him, capable of being anything, and he selects her. And uh, so, uh, so she talks about how he has shown strength with his arm. 
God has shown strength with his arm. She's going to be blessed throughout all the nations, lowly as she is, because God has shown strength with his arm. That means God has acted. Strength with his arm means he has acted decisively in, in, in now uh, uh, promising the conception of this child. He scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And so in other words, he, he confuses and dumbfounds the thinking of the wise and the powerful. Um, so he scattered the proud in their imagination. Uh, and, and he's brought down the mighty from their thrones, okay, from their positions of power. God doesn't care about any of that. On the other hand, he has exalted, exalted the lowly. She is exhibit A. He's filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent empty away. So this is all this idea of this great reversal, which Jesus talks about over and over again. And she roots all of this uh, in the last uh, verse there of the Magnificat. Uh, in the promises that God had made, the many promises that he'd made, beginning with the promise that he made to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So in other words, this, all this that is about to happen is in fulfillment of things that God had set into motion long ago. God is fulfilling his promises. And in this new kingdom, uh, the, the, the low shall be exalted, the high shall be brought down. Uh, and everything will be upside down. Well, I shouldn't say that. Not everything will be upside down, but the things that are most critical, the things that are most fundamental to the way we think about things. Who are the most important people in the world? According to the world, you're going to get a very different list than who are the most important people in the world according to the Lord. What are the most important things in the world? You're going to get a very different list according to the world than you will get from none or from one who is instructed in the word of God and lives by faith. Okay, so that's um, the magnific the Magnificat, and tomorrow we're we're going to take up uh, the Benedictus. That's that's um, Zachariah's song uh, when John is born.